Welcome to Concept to Cover, a Jenkins Group podcast. This week, we're joining conversation with David Wolf, the owner and CEO of Audivita. The company helps people create and monetize their podcasts, as well as recording and editing audiobooks. Today, we're going to focus on the audiobook segment of Audivita. Welcome, David. Tell us a little bit about your company, Audivita. How old is your company, and how and why did you decide to get into the audiobook creation space? Well, thanks for the question. I come from a long history of recording, mostly centered around music composition and production for radio, television, and film. I started that journey in Chicago after being a musician for many years, and then created a company called Cry Wolf Music, which ran in Dallas with studios there and in Santa Fe, New Mexico for a few years as well. So this company is really a natural extension of many, many years doing work in the broadcast production space for advertising agencies and big and little brands and filmmakers and documentaries and children's programming and all of that. So it was kind of a natural extension of things entrepreneurially speaking, after I had done some things outside the production industry, it was sort of coming back to my roots right around 2007, six, seven, right in there. And so about that time, probably audiobooks were gaining traction and it was a natural extension for you to start looking at that. I just remember when audiobooks weren't even a thing. So how did it begin for you and the company to say, this is an aspect of the market that we want to get into, even though maybe most people haven't even heard of audiobooks yet. Right. Sure. They were known as books on tape, right, Leah? Yeah, so, books on um, tape. Exactly. That, right. And so they were delivered in a physical product. Really right around the time I got in, I think that was a pretty extinct kind of modality for the delivery of audiobooks. But for me, it was really in parallel. I had been beginning to develop my own podcast and ultimately a podcast arm to our company, which is, you know, kind of what's going on today. We produce both podcasts and audiobooks. So it really, what I saw was an opportunity to leverage the same skill sets for me, you know, as a solopreneur, and then ultimately for a team that could do this work. Although, and I think most of your listeners will know that podcasts are, they're like audiobooks in some ways, but very distinctly different in the way that we approach both the production and the distribution of them. So it's a related idea because it's audio, but for that reason, I saw the opportunity and saw that there was really this kind of hyper shift to audio for all the reasons we know, the ability to audio without being captive to a screen and to be mobile with audio. And that applies to both the podcast and the audiobook space. Just there are a lot of people around that don't feel they have the time to sit and read. Therefore, they listen and be doing other things while they do that. And that's exactly what we hear from our clients as we're talking about creating the physical book. They are always saying, I need to have an audiobook too. And I think it is just kind of a natural extension these days. It's a must-have property, uh, like an ebook. When you're thinking about how you're going to market your book, you've got to have that audiobook. You've got to have the ebook. You've got to have the physical book. So, yeah. tell me, what is the growth like in the ebook market these days? The audiobooks are growing quite rapidly. I mean, we've seen double-digit growth since roughly around 2015. So it did take a few years, even though I was kind of early to the market. I mean, we were just doing a few of them. And I should mention that the Jenkins group and our relationship was actually foundational in the formation of Audavita Studios because you were really the first enterprise client we had. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I connected with someone who knew Jim at a conference in New York and that's where it started. So just want to say, so back to your question, it's been really quite a tsunami. And again, all things audio have been growing quite quickly. 
I think there were a couple of years where you had 22, 25, 28% growth. That might be starting to flatten now, but I know that when I used to go out and speak and do webinars, those were the numbers we were talking about. And this is just a few years ago. So it continues to grow and it continues to be, as you have mentioned, sort of part and parcel to having your digital versions of your book out there. Of course, there are instances where authors want to be sure that the book they've written and have started to market that it's selling overall. In fact, I have instances where someone will reach out to me or I'll reach out to them and say, hey, are you interested in doing an audiobook? Sort of in a sales mode, if you like. And, and they'll tell me, well, there's not a lot of evidence that the book is selling and I'm spending a lot on marketing. And this is sort of the, for the individual author, right? So I will recommend that, look, why don't you make sure that you know, you've know you got something that's going to be selling because this is another investment for you to make. And we want to make sure that it, it's supported by the sales of the other versions. But as you've said, aside from those instances, you're going to unlock a whole new audience with audio. And that's really what I like to say to most of the folks I'm talking to about all of this. And it seems also like there may be an opportunity from a sales perspective when someone isn't perhaps seeing that sales growth that they'd like to see in the physical book or the ebook to maybe try the audio book and get that going just to see if perhaps their audience may be more interested in that version of the book itself. Well, it's funny you say that because as I was telling you that story, that sort of use case around, you know, maybe there's an argument to wait. You could argue that if the budget is there and the willingness on the author or the publisher's side is there to venture into audio, you're absolutely right. This idea about unlocking a new audience, you may find that people would prefer to listen to the type of content you've got or that your audience just has a preference to listening over reading. I'm a consumer of audiobooks now. I, I walk about three miles a day. That's the space I save for consuming audio. So absolutely. <laughs> and kind of one thing that I find is that people are very welded to their type of consumption. This is how they do it every time. Right. It's a habit. It's I don't want to say that it's like smoking, but there's a ritual around it. And yep, there is. Everybody Absolutely. has their way. Like you say, you walk and you listen to audiobooks. I walk and I listen to podcasts. That's the time that I set aside to do that. So right. I, I think there are people that say, this is how I get myself to go to the gym is to listen to that next chapter because I have to find out what happens. So I have to go to the gym. It's one thing, then another. And I can't do this without the other. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. That sort of ritual around it. Right. And there, and, you know, uh, all those and, things that you can't do while you're physically reading a book, you know, you have a book in your hand, you can't be driving, you can't be working out, you can't be walking. So that's right. You nailed it. That's exactly right. Those behaviors have shifted with the availability of cell phones and smartphones and the hypermobile movement, if you like, you know. So, yeah, all of those things have been driving growth and driving the reason, the argument, if you like, to participate in audio. So what types of authors do you work with in the audiobook space? We really approach this business genre agnostically and content agnostically, as long as it's legal and there's nothing nefarious about the content, we'll work on it. So to your question, we are probably about evenly distributed between fiction and nonfiction these days. We have a program for our nonfiction authors, you know, the business writer, the author with a memoir, where we record that author remotely in the comfort of their own home without the use of a studio. And it's been wildly successful. We've done this with hundreds of authors all over the world. And so it's not that we're trying to train an author to 
rethink the way they read or talk or you know train them to be a voiceover talent if they really want a professional voiceover talent then we can go ahead and put our casting team on it and find the perfect voice for their book quote unquote but in this case they're the voice of their brand they are the connectivity to market they may be a podcaster they may be appearing on other people's podcasts they have a recognizable sound and they're the person that should deliver the content so in those instances we like to recommend to authors that they go ahead and do it themselves and the way that works from a process point of view is we use what's called end-to-end -end recording software which you could think of it as like a virtual digital studio we set them up with the proper mic directional mic that doesn't pick up the room around them we make sure they're situated in a room in their home or home office that sounds good acoustically, which is, you know, challenged with removing reverb or keeping the sound of the room out of the mic, if you like. So we do a pre-production call and then we, in a series of 90 minute recording sessions, we kind of like 90 minutes because it's a good sweet spot for energy levels and stuff. We have a series of sessions with that author. And while our producer is there coaching them, they perform the book. So it's been very successful. On the other side, we do have, I mentioned this briefly, we have a casting team. They're wonderful. They're actors and they're our casting directors. And they have a very large database of folks. And then if we don't have who we happen to need for a fiction title, then we'll go out and we'll find them through other platforms and sources that are available online and elsewhere. So, And so what if you get someone who says, I have to be the voice of this book, and then they get in the studio or they're doing it from their home, they're doing it themselves, and yeah. they're just kind of doing a terrible job. How do you, how do you <laughs> navigate that with them? Do you say, hey, this is kind of what I'm seeing. Can we work on this a little bit? You're popping your peas and let's work on this. Or do you ever have to say, let's think about having someone else read the book? It's interesting you ask that question because you're touching on something that's really, it's a delicate matter when the talent is the client, is the author, all in one, right? So exactly. our producers are very, we have sort of an emotional intelligence around how to handle those things and the sensitivity that could be. So here's kind of the answer. It doesn't tend to happen. Most of the time, the authors will be the ones that will say, I don't think I can handle this. I have dyslexia as one example. These are real life examples. I don't think I can read this book because it's too emotional and I just can't handle having to relive all of this again. Other cases are, I've had a case where the guy was a little mumbly. You know, he was a technical guy or an attorney. And that was a case we actually got through the book, but you'll find people read very differently than they talk. And if they don't have experience on a mic, and once the red light goes on, so to speak, and you're recording, they may... So in those, you know, there are instances, you might say they're borderline, where we know we can get the performance out of them, but it's going to take a lot more time and work. So one of the things I designed into this model is we don't charge by the hour, we charge by the word. So we actually absorb, in some cases retakes and outtakes and having to redo stuff. As a company, it's our philosophy that once we're in the game with them, we will do whatever it takes to pull the performance out of them. If it's really, really painful, we would call it off and say, time out, we need to rethink this. But honestly, Leah, it's never in the hundreds of books we've done like this. It's usually the author that knows they're not able to do it and they'll flag it early in the game. Sometimes they'll do a little test, like they won't be sure that they like the sound of their own voice, or they'll say something like, oh, I have a twang because I'm from the South. Is that okay? And honestly, if that's the way they sound, then that's the voice we should capture. Because again, they're the voice of their brand. And again, this is for the business author, the author with the memoir, these cases where it's an author narrated project. 
And that's, so I hope that helps. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so interesting to think about. I never thought about that in your space where when we hire a ghostwriter to work on, say, a memoir project with a really difficult subject matter where the author is reliving trauma, it's very difficult to do that both for the author and for the ghostwriter. It's a daily struggle of how are we going to get through this? And I never really considered it from the audiobook standpoint that this person is going to have to relive it yet again and be reading it. And so it's just going to make it that much more difficult to get through. Well, it's interesting. There's a function of or sort of an idea that it's difficult, but there's also, in some instances, a cathartic experience that the author will experience on the more positive side of the spectrum where they're getting back into their content, they're reconnecting. Yes, it was a painful thing for them to re-experience, but they want to go through that journey as the narrator of their own book. I've had instances like that with, you know, a very difficult divorce case or a guy that was a Navy SEAL that killed people in combat, actually telling the story of how he discovered peace at war. Another case with a woman who had a severely autistic child and told that story. And so these combinations of the subject matter and the author's emotional and capacity to deliver it with voice varies across the spectrum. And so it's each one is very individual. It's it's fascinating, this part of it. But sometimes when I get on a webinar or a podcast like this, I'll say the side effect of all of this is it's really a cool experience to narrate your own book. I've even had cases where the author would stop during the recording and make some notes for their editor. And you'll know this because of the space you're in. Reading out loud is a really good way to catch edits and to go through a process of editing. So in some cases, they've actually recorded the audio prior to locking down the interior design just because they know they're going to catch stuff or they've got enough experience or they're finding things that they just know they need to edit out or change the way they've languaged. You know, the language is in the way of the message, if you like. So it's really interesting. And each one is a little bit different, but we're touching on a lot of these different cases now. So yeah. It's, and it's I have to stuff. say thank you to you because it's something that I tell my clients now every time we go through the editing of the book. And they absolutely, by the end of the time that they're done working with me in the creation of the book, they're saying, Leah, I cannot look at this book. I cannot read it anymore. I'm so right. sick of it. I'm right. so tired of it. I'm pretty sure I'm never going to see any edits or things that need to be changed. And so I tell them, read it out loud to yourself or someone else, but you will find things when you force your mouth to make the words, you will actually yes. hear it and see it yeah. and go, oh my gosh. We have missed yes. that. The editor missed it. The proofreader missed it. I missed it. Leah missed it. Everybody missed it. But reading it out loud is the key to finding those things. It really is amazing how putting the kinetic action into the moving of the mouth, as you say, that's perfect. It changes the experience of the words and it changes the way it comes across. And isn't it amazing how many times things can be missed, how easy it is to read what you want to read rather than what is on the page. It's so fascinating that what the brain does there. So this is a way of weeding a lot of that out. It's, it's so true. Yes. And so looking at that, when someone is done with a narration, what happens from that point when you kind of shake hands with the author and it goes into production work with your team? Yeah, we shake, we do virtual shake of hands. Yeah. The recording sessions, we find that we get, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. We get about an hour of final audio edited out of an hour and a half session. So, you know, with math calculations, we'll know how many sessions it'll take to record. Usually after each session, we're beginning to do the editing. It's almost like a waterfall process for us. So we have uh, several editors on our team. And so we'll assign an editor to a project and they'll start like after each 90 minute session, we'll send them that day's work and they'll start to work on it. After they come out of that process, 
they may have what we call a pickup list or a punch list of some lines that just need to be recorded for one reason or another. It might be acoustics. It might be a recording phenomenon. It might be just something that was missed pronunciation-wise by both the producer and the author. And so at that point, we'll have a pickup session, another however long you need, to record and insert those replacement lines. And at that point, we complete all the editing and the mastering, and we send a link to a folder to the author to listen to each chapter as much or as little of the book as they want. Now, if it's a casting project, they've only heard the sample that we provide in the beginning. You know, we're spending a lot of time talking about an author read, but remember, we do professionally narrated novels quite a bit, almost an equal part. So that process varies slightly. The author would have a list of revisions for us. There may be some pronunciation issues. There may be some characterization issues that we just want to retrace and re-record and then insert those replacement lines. So there's an editing sort of pass that we go through with the author to make sure we got it right. I also want to just backtrack. You mentioned something about popping peas and things when we're working with an author that's reading their own. So there's a tremendous amount of audio processing that we do in all the books we do. It's required by the distributors. These are noise reduction types of scenarios. So slightly technical. Things like popping peas, unless they're really, really obnoxious, we can get rid of a lot of that. So, you know, there's a lot of tools and plugins that are available for our audio engineers to really clean up the audio, besides just doing the content edit, which is, you know, taking out the outtakes and just sticking with the retakes. There's also a lot that goes into the pacing, both for a professional narrator as well as for an author read, because the timing of lines sometimes in the raw audio recording is not exactly right. And we got to tweak it. It might need a longer pause. It might need to be tightened up. There may be something that we just need to tweak to make it to engage that listener. So they're really getting this experience they need. So I just wanted to put some character on that. But once the author has approved all the audio or we've satisfied the revision cycle, we also take care of, and this is varies from client to client. Some clients are working with a Jenkins group like publisher. Some of our other publishing partners handle this matter of making the existing cover a square. It's not audio, but it's something we provide as a service for our authors. And so we modify, you know, we don't change the design, but we take their design and modify it for a square, which is required by audio. And then we consult with the author about where they want to and how they want to distribute. And that opens up a whole new subject matter. Right, right. And so that's another area where Jenkins Group comes in and helps with getting authors up on Amazon getting them listed with their distributor, getting all that stuff taken care of on the back end. And so that's when many times the audiobook comes back to us or then you're handling putting it up on Amazon or other places. Is that generally what you guys do is Amazon or how does that work? Yeah, let me let me explain. So there's an ecosystem here. So there's the big three, which is Amazon, Audible, and Apple or iTunes. I would say on balance, most of the authors just say, yeah, I just want to be there. And they'll go what's called exclusive. So exclusive means there's a net sales number that all of this is done typically through ACX. If they're going to do an exclusive on those big three, we'll just upload through ACX. We work with the author to create an account for themselves if they don't already have it. We claim the rights. One of the things that ACX requires is that you have these days, you have to have an ebook version. You have to have an electronic version up. And then we do what's called claiming the rights on behalf of the author. It's all on their behalf, but we're assisting with the technology. 
because a lot of authors, you know, they get lost in this if you haven't done it before. So we help them set up the account. There's a double verification. It links to their Amazon. Um, Erica Yoakum on our team helps our authors with that. And then once their account is up and their banking information is all in, you know, they can change their password after we're done. But what we'll do is we'll upload all the files, all the audio, make sure everything's in order, the metadata is right, and also the cover. And then it matches. And in about two weeks, it's been somewhere around two weeks for most of the time I've been in the business, ACX will send a notification through Amazon. The author will get a notification that their audiobook is live. Congratulations. Now, the other 30 or so percent of the market is about roughly 50 or more, about 52, I think it is now, apps, distribution channels, libraries that an author can choose to be a part of. They would have to go non-exclusive on ACX. In those instances, we would submit to all of the channels, including the big three, through a different alternative portal, not ACX. So the process is the same, Leah, but it's just we navigate it differently and we upload it through a different site. Typically, we'll use Find A Way or we'll use Authors Republic for those. Sort of a fire hose here, but you get the idea. There's some complexity and there's some decision making that we can help the author sort of sort out for themselves. And we do all that. Okay. And so I have just one question myself, backtracking a little bit. What is ACX? It sounds like it kind of functions as a pathway to Amazon. Do I have that right? Yeah, it's an Amazon company and it's just the technical portal that services the setting up distribution for audiobooks on Audible, Amazon, and then typically you'll go to Apple through them. You don't have to on Apple. You can actually go direct or you can go through one of the other channels. So yeah, there's a little complexity, but the simplification is, yes, it's kind of like a hub and spoke. That's the hub that sort of connects to these other platforms. Got the it. Big three. That makes sense. Thank you. When you're working with a client or when you get started or maybe even as you're ending, what are the one things that clients might say, oh man, I wish I would have learned that sooner or that's something I really wish I would have understood better as we made our way through this process? You know, by and large, our authors tend to really enjoy the process, whether it's a casting project or otherwise. We've had a couple cases where the authors did start narrating their own book. And this sort of throws back to an early question we were addressing. It's coming to mind for me now where the author just didn't like the sound of their own voice. And then we ended up going to a casting. So they crossed over and we tag teamed with our casting team and said, look, we tried it this way. Sometimes authors try to do a novel themselves and they get into it and they realize it really requires some acting chops to pull that off. So there are those instances. I think the other thing to look out for, and this isn't so much because we'll help weed it out, but there are parts of audiobooks, parts of the manuscript rather, that don't belong with the audio product, like long lists or bibliographies or references and you know anything that's like a long laundry list probably doesn't belong in the audio experience for the listener. So generally, we'll sort that out in the beginning stages and we'll actually, when we're calculating the word count, we'll eliminate those sections. And we talked to the author about all that. But as far as what did they not know they didn't know, I can't say I've experienced a whole lot of that because again, we've sorted out a lot of the unknowns in the beginning of the process, thankfully. Of course, we have cases where this is sort of the market is not engineered, the distribution ecosystem. And this is like, if someone could solve this problem, the economics are not that favorable for authors in general. I mean, it's just the whole industry is sort of constructed as though you're leaning on a platform that you don't control. In audiobooks, the pricing is, at least for Amazon and Audible, is determined by ACX. And so 
one to three hours, they'll price it at X, four to six hours Y. You know, there's a tiered system for pricing. We go over this again. We do tell the author all of this stuff that, you know, they may not want to hear, but they need to hear. You want to be in audio? Okay, fine. If you're going to be on ACX, you have to know that they set the pricing. We really clear all of that and make sure they get it in the beginning stages. So I don't know. Back to your question. I'm forgive the sort of wandering here as I think out loud about it. By the time we're into the project, they really do understand what they're getting into. And there's not a lot of unknowns. I think the unknowns tend to happen when people try to do it on their own without a company like ours or the assistance of professionals. They self-record. You know, we've had cases they do it on their iPhone, they do it on Audacity, whatever. They, you know, they've got their own way of doing it. And they realize that they're just not technically equipped to managed processing the files so they'll be accepted by ACX or find a way or Authors Republic because the specs for audio are extremely stringent. And if you don't get it just right, they will kick it back. So sometimes we'll get calls from people who tried to do it on their own because they've got some aptitude to record, you know, press the record button, set up the mic, get it done. They're okay orally, you know, in terms of their voice, but they just don't know what to do with the files in order to comply with the standards. So that's a place where people can get into trouble, but it's usually they haven't worked with anybody like us. And so that's why they're calling us for help. And we can repair the audio files. We can, you know, get them in the right sample rate. We can do some conversion. We can do, you know, various processing things so that they're in compliance, but it's a big pain. <laughs> I'll say that yeah. it's not easy to do it after the fact. So sorry, a long answer there. No, but- that's that's great to know because it's something that also happens in book production when people say, I've got my book cover done already. And we say, oh, that's terrific. How did that happen? Who did that for you? Well, I have a guy who does our marketing material and <laughs> right. they right. he was working on our book cover. And we say, oh, great. Well, honestly, what that does for us is it it gives us some concepts to work with. But when we look at the actual files themselves, they won't work for press. So we do a very similar process where we have to go through and fix those files and make them what they need to be so that a printer can work yeah. with them. So yeah. that's interesting that it's much the same process, just a different medium. That's right. Sometimes people want to do it themselves. They may be in a situation where they want to save money. We have had some instances where the author self-records people. Actually, they'll do a test run with us. We'll talk to them about file naming conventions and how they need to organize the audio files for us so that we can do the post-production and get it ready for distribution. And they're able to do it. It's rare, but there are some people out there that have the capacity. So, you know, if they think they do, we'll talk to them about it and we'll get a test and we'll make sure that everything's cool so we don't run into trouble in the aftermath. That's always a good plan. Thanks so much for being with us, David. We really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Concept to Cover. It was a delight to be with you, Leah. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.